and welcome to CCBJ Perspectives podcast, providing access to leaders and influencers within the ever-evolving ecosystem of lawyers and legal professionals. I'm so pleased to introduce today's guest, David Greenberg. David serves as chair of the Governance and Risk Assessment Committee. He has previously served as a director with APCO Worldwide, a private communications and government affairs consultancy, and Clean Tech Group, which creates opportunities for industrial companies to invest in innovative clean technology. Currently, David has been working to assist with the new CEO transition and integration of an acquisition for LRN Corporation. LRN is a technology and education company that provides ethics and compliance strategy, education, communications, and a technology platform to corporations across the globe. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so pleased that you're going to be a part of our podcast and be here to share information with our audience. My pleasure. So I guess I'll start off with the fact that until recently, you served as the interim CEO of LRN. This is a role that is not frequently discussed, but seems to operate as a utility player at key junctures for many organizations. Can you please tell us about your approach to this position? Obviously, a job like this totally depends on context. So my context was very stormy weather for the company and the need to sail in some pretty tough seas. I came to the job when a CEO was asked to leave after only 90 days, very unexpectedly from one day to the next. And that CEO was quite well loved by the company. And the reasons for the departure were never fully explained. So that was crisis number one. Crisis number two was that COVID hit the company and the world about a month into the job, and we became fully remote. Crisis three was the protests over racial injustice and police misconduct, which generated really strong feelings among our employees. And crisis number four was the biggest acquisition in the company's history. So that was my context in taking over and managing as an interim CEO. Given that, my priorities were to hold the company together emotionally, to restore confidence, to keep the business on track in very difficult times. And to do all of that, I realized we needed to step up communications immensely. I had the senior team meet daily for an hour from when COVID hit until very recently. We pulled all of the company together in an all hands call every single week for an hour. And I spoke to the board every week for an hour. So it was a challenging context, but also a rewarding one. And I suspect that many interim CEOs face similarly challenging circumstances. You are currently serving as a sitting director. Tell us about what drew you to take a position as a director and how the opportunity presented itself. So I dealt with a board 
for 20 years in a Fortune 10 company when I was a senior executive at the Altria Group, which then was comprised of Philip Morris Tobacco, Kraft Foods, and Miller Brewing. And I always wondered what it would be like to sit on the other side of the table. I love strategy, and that's what boards do. I like bringing in outside perspective, and that's what boards need to do. And I also like bringing into the corporation a societal perspective because I spent most of my career working on what's the right relationship between companies and society. So all of those things made being a director very attractive. Directorships, particularly in public companies, don't grow on trees. So I didn't actually have a strategy for becoming a director, but when the opportunity came up, I was delighted. You asked how it came up. It started at a dinner party about seven years before I got the offer to be on the board. The person who ended up being chairman of this board was seated next to me, and we got into a long conversation about his career, my career, and one thing led to another. He asked me to speak to a couple of companies where he served as chairman about what was going on in society and how ethics and compliance was developing and what boards needed to do about it. And then lo and behold, about five years after that, he called me out of the blue and said, International Seaways had a board opening and was I interested? And so I think that many, many, many board seats emerge from deep relationships. I know there are executive search firms who help find and place directors, but only about a third of directors come through that kind of pipeline. Two thirds are based on relationships. And I think the relationships that really matter are deep ones where someone perceives you as someone they can really trust and depend on, and they've been through you know, a number of wars with you, they know your judgment is good, and they know you'll make a contribution. So what surprised you the most about being a director? Well, one of the things that maybe shouldn't be a surprise but was, is it can be a really humbling experience. What do I mean by that? In a good company, you have a management team, an executive team, who lives and breathes the company 24-7. In that context, you have directors who have five or six board meetings a year and various committee meetings. The opportunity to really add value in that sort of situation can, as I said, be humbling because you have a management who really is on top of everything. And board members, I think, need to pick and choose carefully about where they can really make a valuable contribution. It's an obvious point, but I was surprised living it. And I realized I have to pick my spots. I have to really focus on areas that I know extremely well, that maybe people in the company don't know as well, and areas where an outsider's perspective can be really pivotal. Because 
on the inside day-to-day operations of the business, directors should expect that management is really on top of their game. And if the board has a tremendous amount of value to add there, one would have to question whether you have the right management team or not. The other thing that surprised me is how much work it is, in part because it's hard to add value. You have to do a lot of work before you can add value. There are hundreds of pages to read before every board meeting. There are a lot of complex business relationships and dynamics to understand. Sometimes even getting on top of the jargon and the acronyms in what can be a new industry for a director can be really challenging. So not only is it humbling, but it's really hard work if you want to do a good job. So that segues nicely into my next question. For those who haven't served as a director, can you talk a bit about what the day-to-day role looks like? Yeah, so the big picture of of a board is that a board is supposed to help the corporation sort of chart big picture strategy and assure that that strategy is well executed. But as you start breaking it down, the role of the director very much depends on your committee assignments, for example. Very different to be on the audit committee, where particularly in a public company, you're dealing with a vast array of government requirements, SEC requirements, requirements to oversee inside and outside auditors, requirements to ensure that the financials are right, that earnings reporting is correct. And there are a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross. In contrast, on the governance and risk assessment committee, the one that I chair, the focus is really on a much more in-depth look at what are the risks facing the company and do we have an adequate response to them and plan for them? And are we governing the company and operating as a board in a proper manner? Do we have the right independence? Do we have the right expertise. Increasingly, do we have the right diversity? So the day-to-day role is very much dependent on both your committee assignments and the role you've been brought to do. Most directors are brought into a company for a particular kind of expertise. Yes, we should all have great judgment and the ability to understand strategy and to help the company look at lots of big picture issues. But typically, someone is brought in because of some particular aspect of their background. In my case, it was the company needed a new chair of the governance committee. And I had a strong background in advising management and boards on ethics and compliance and governance. So that's my particular role. But of course, day to day, you're also driven by what's going on in the company. Is there a lot of merger and acquisition activity, in which case that can take up enormous time? Is there a lot of financing activity dealing with banks? Is there a lot of shareholder activity? So it it very much depends. But the one thing I think that's a constant is that in the modern boardroom, 
there's just a tremendous amount of work to do. And if you want to be a valuable contributor, it really takes some time. So David, the role of directors has evolved and become ever more important in the issues of compliance and governance. How has the need for individuals with compliance experience developed? I would say it's just developing. It's just dawning on boards that ethics and compliance is an area of expertise that can really add value. In the long stretch of corporate history, ethics and compliance is a relatively new function. Yes, it's been around about 25 years, but compare that to finance, marketing, HR, legal. Those are all things that the paths are very well developed and laid out. Companies know what to do with those functions and with, and boards know what to do and how to interact with the leaders of those functions. We're still making our way through the early stages of what's ethics and compliance, what's it mean for the company, what's its importance, how do we relate to the chief compliance officer and her team, and kind of have we made sense of all of this? And the answer is not yet. Ethics and compliance isn't very well understood by the board, particularly in a deep way. It's given little time and priority in lots of companies, absent a crisis. And it deals with what's an incredibly complex calculus, which is how do you influence human behavior in the right direction in an organization of thousands or tens of thousands? And not very many boards have gotten this right yet. The good news is that I know of five either existing or former chief ethics and compliance officers who've become public company board directors. And what I hear from them is that their point of view and perspective and experience has been extremely welcome in the boardroom. And so I, I think there's a bright future for that. But having said that, there's also tremendous competition for a limited number of seats on boards, and there are lots of other needs. There are always needs for strong financial expertise, and now there are growing needs for expertise in areas like cybersecurity and e-commerce. There's a huge need for diversity in the boardroom, and so all of these factors are competing for a limited number of spaces. David, how are boards and directors approaching issues like corporate ethics and ethical leadership? Intermittently and largely inadequately. The irony is that becoming embroiled in a huge corporate scandal involving misconduct that both destroys value and reputation is something that does keep directors up at night, but they don't really know what to do about it. LRN did a study recently based on in-depth interviews with the chief ethics and compliance officers of 25 global companies. And we asked them to talk in detail, but off the record, so no one was identified by name, nor were their companies, about the kind of oversight their boards are providing for ethics and compliance. And the story was a pretty bleak one. I can summarize just in a, in a few points. Little time and priority given to ethics and compliance. No real sense of the kind of strategy 
that a company needs to have to deal with ethics, compliance, and culture, poor metrics, no accountability for senior and executive management on the issues, weak, if any, relationships between board members and the chief ethics and compliance officer. So you're taking a very complex and difficult problem of how to influence human behavior, but you're applying a pretty inadequate set of actions. And so not surprisingly, we're not getting the kinds of results that we ought to. One of my favorite business sayings is that corporate culture eats corporate strategy for breakfast. And corporate ethics and ethical leadership is significantly about culture. And so until boards really focus on culture as well as on strategy and operations, they're unlikely to get this right. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between serving on a public versus private company board. What are some of the key issues stakeholders should understand? Well, the first thing to understand from a director point of view is that private boards are not the minor leagues. Private companies can be just as interesting and being a director of a private company can be just as interesting or even a more interesting experience than being on a public company board. Public company boards are driven more so by government regulation than private company boards, which means that boards spend a lot of time and effort in dealing with those regulations, which can drive time and priority away from really interesting and more interesting business issues. There are plenty of billion-dollar companies out there that are private, and there are plenty of private companies that even though the dollar figures aren't as large, the issues can be just as interesting. Lots of interesting merger and acquisition issues in private companies. And many private companies are working towards becoming public companies and the IPO process and getting ready for that can be interesting. And there's a little bit more of a roll up the sleeves mentality on private company boards, which means because private companies often have smaller staffs and fewer resources than big public companies, there's actually a bigger opportunity for board members to contribute and add value. So I would definitely say that anyone who gets an opportunity to be a director on a private company should not look at it as the poor relation to being on a, a public company board. It can be a really great experience. And I think a lot of people only think about the public company board route and they shouldn't. So looking towards the future, what are some big changes coming for both directors and boards as a whole? I think these last six months are telling. Both the pandemic and the kind of quest for racial justice and the protests about racial injustice and policemen's misconduct really threw companies and boards for quite a loop. I think that there's an adjustment coming in the relationship between companies and society, and that has implications for boards. You only have to look at the changing 
perceptions and public opinion about whether capitalism is a good thing or a bad thing to know that companies and boards really have to be on top of their relationships with society. You can't really separate yourself from society. You can't really separate yourself from a broader sense of the stakeholders that matter. And you, you kind of have to ensure that you're getting things right with a broader group of stakeholders and with society as a whole. And all of these things affect boards. Boards are always cautioned to not interfere with management's right to operate the company. But to the extent you're talking about things like the relationship between a company and the whole society and its multiple stakeholders, those are things that I think are huge strategy issues and have to involve boards. And boards should not defer or delegate all of that to management. So I think that's one big change. Obviously, another big change that's somewhat related is the necessary drive for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that is a factor at the management level, and it's a factor at the board level. I can tell you that I just got news that I'd been recruited, heavily recruited for a board, and was just told yesterday, uh, nope that board slot needs to go to a woman. And that was both painful and correct. And, you know, I think that's going to be happening more and more, not only on a gender basis, but also for other aspects of diversity. Uh, boards need to just be on top of that issue because it's not, it's not going to go away. The other thing I would say that is equally important is that when you look at the demographics of our workforce now, particularly among younger people, there is an increasing desire for them to find meaning in their work. They focus much more on the purpose of companies and companies' impact on society. And I think that's another issue that looms large for boards and companies, and there's, there's no way to avoid it. So I think that being a director is going to be increasingly not just about business, but about the whole world. And directors and companies need to get ready for that.